May we and all beings know how to nourish the seeds of joy in ourselves every day. May we and all beings be able to live fresh, solid, and free. May we and all beings be free from attachment and aversion, but not be indifferent. Good morning again, everyone. It's great to see you all here today and welcome. We've recently turned our focus to the five hindrances or the things that get in the way, which are at the same time and whatever they are, our way, as Mado put it a couple of weeks ago. And as a gentle reminder, the five hindrances are desire, something that was a rather hot topic during this week's book study. You may remember that we had conversations concerning the difference, if any, between wanting more and wanting something different. I'm inclined to think that those are the same thing. The latter is just a more complicated version of the former. And need versus greed. Nobody needs filet mignon. We might need sparkling pink lemonade, though. <laughs> and sometimes this hindrance is described as giving careless attention to what we find attractive and beautiful, which has the potential to render us ensnared or trapped by that attractive or beautiful thing. We have a kind of craving for it. The second aversion, what we find repulsive. Repeatedly over the last couple of weeks, I've talked about how I wake up in the mornings and Wilbur's butt is in my face, Wilbur's my cat. <laughs> no one wants to wake up to that. I tell him he doesn't seem to care. Go away. The third is sloth and topor, a sort of sluggishness of mind, sometimes born from a discontent of our present experience, sometimes a sleepiness. Last week, Ronan shed light on this. Restlessness and worry and unsettledness of mind. I've shared with some of you that last week I had a meeting with some of the board of directors here for an apprenticeship position, and I was very restless and worried leading up to that meeting. I thought it went well. <laughs> Lots of lost sleep over nothing. I'm already getting no sleep as it is. And the last hindrance is doubt. Not a kind of critical examination of our present experience and of the teaching, something that the Buddha encouraged, but the kind of doubt that we sometimes hear Daigen express. The Buddha says, everyone is a Buddha and everyone has Buddha nature. I think that's true, but everyone, not me. <laughs> I must be the exception. No, you're not. You too are a Buddha, my dear friend. It's a doubt about oneself and one's relation to the truth and the applicability of the teachings, the Dharma. And as we begin talking about these hindrances in more detail in the weeks to come, I felt a real need to offer a companion to them, a friend, a neighbor, something that you might find potentially uplifting 
encouraging so that our Sunday talks don't become sad. Gloomy. We're just talking about all the things that get in our way, all the ways in which we're not maybe doing as much as we would like to. Gosh, why do I come here? I was thinking a lot about a series of talks during our exploration of the Noble Eightfold Path, where at my own doing and sometimes Mado's doing, the first precept kept coming up to refrain from taking life, to cultivate and sustain life, and how if we understand this precept literally, there's no way we can observe it in our daily lives. Because all of the ways in which we might try to qualify our intentions, our actions, are swept away. The precept includes all life, not just human lives, but non-human animals, insects, plants. It doesn't matter if I'm doing it directly or indirectly. Oh, I didn't you know, kill the caterpillar out on the meditation trail. That was Angyo. <laughs> doesn't matter. Not separate from all that is. All of these ways in which we might try to, again, retain some sense of comfort in the upright way that we think we're living are not available. So we seem to not be acting in a way that upholds the spirit of the precept in everything we do every day. And hearing that time and again, just like again, hearing about all the ways in which we get in our own way can bring in a rather dark cloud to an otherwise beautiful, spectacularly sunny day, which I don't think we can. Oops. So the companion that I want to invite into our conversations this morning and in the weeks to come are what in the Sanskrit is called the Sapta Bodhiyanga, or the seven limbs of awakening, which are often paired with the five hindrances in various Buddhist texts, for example, in the connected discourses. So if the hindrances are what gets in our way, which is also our way, the thing that we need to not go around or try and jump over, but meet head on, then the limbs, as I like to think of them, are what helps us on the way. And if you're a visual person, someone who likes to bring images to mind when thinking about the teachings, you can imagine the limbs as branches of a large tree that are forever growing and extending and blossoming as our life unfolds, all shooting forth from a solid trunk. So what are these limbs that help us work with the hindrances that are ever present in our lives? The first one, and by some accounts, the main one is mindfulness, a word that is becoming ever more popular today hear it not just in Dharma centers like this one, but in boardrooms of large corporations. And even my manager at Trader Joe's talks about this. When you're putting corn on the shelf, be mindful. Okay, I guess. Make sure the label is facing outward. Bring mindfulness to your practice. Aye, aye, Captain. We find various descriptions offered of this word, and one that I often favor is a clear and honest seeing of what is as it is from a place of love and kindness and compassion. 
These are the words of Pema Chodron. And some weeks ago, Mado used the metaphor of a mirror that if in proper condition, it's not dusty, it's not one of these wonky funhouse mirrors that makes me look this big or this tall, reflects what it appears as it appears. And when I asked Mado where, if at all, the love and compassion fit into this metaphor, it was suggested that they're found in the very activity of the mirror itself. Receiving just what appears as it appears, as it is, just as when you return home after being away for a while, your family and friends and an image we're all too familiar with might be standing out on the front porch, waiting with open arms. We're so happy to see you, welcome home. Some of you know I had a tough first year here in Pennsylvania. I took some time away to get my affairs sorted out. And when I came back and I walked up those steps out front of the Zendo, there was Mado standing at the top of them. Welcome, actually. It's good to see you again. The Sanskrit word for mindfulness, smriti, from which Again, mindfulness come literally means remembering. Remembering where we are, who we are with, what we are doing. Angyo mentioned this some weeks ago during our Q&A. The second limb is investigation of phenomena. Dharma pravichara. That may be a literal translation. I don't like it, it's rather cumbersome. So I prefer to name this limb curiosity. Curiosity about or towards the phenomenon, towards something's physical form. You see an interesting shape off in the distance. What is it? Towards feelings of pleasure or pain or indifference towards my perceptual experiences, a patch of color, an odor, a sound, a flavor, a texture, a thought, a desire or attraction, an aversion, an experience of sleepiness or anxiousness, doubt, or in something of a philosophical way about awareness itself. If you're so inclined, take notice of all the things of which you are aware of right now the condition of your body, the light in this room, the sound of my voice. There's a lot of things happening in this moment of which you are aware, yet what is this awareness that allows you to be aware of those things? Most of you know that I seize just about every opportunity I can to mention my cat, Wilbur. <laughs> And this moment is no exception, I'm going to do it. If you're looking for a way to practice this second limb in your life, this limb of curiosity, here's the best possible advice you could ever receive. Be like Wilbur, who is so curious when there's a knock at the door, you see him leap up. Who is that? Is it a tiger friend? Do they have treats? Probably not, but I can give you some. The kind of curiosity 
that we're talking about here isn't sort of an uneasy suspicion when you sense like something might not be right in the present moment or some sneaky investigating where you're trying to one-up somebody, but a Wilbur-like curiosity. The last few weeks I've shared that I'm often sleepy on the cushion. I'm bringing curiosity to that experience. Why am I sleepy? What's happening right now when I start to doze off before I run the risk of falling over? What is this? I think I just need to sleep more. The third limb is diligence. Vera also translated as effort, energy, and perseverance. Traditionally, mindfulness and curiosity and faith in the teachings are its source. And in a nod to my first guiding teacher, Koan Sensei, I'm inclined to rename this limb as well as a willingness to just keep going. Just keep going. It took me some years of working with Koan before I realized that this simple teaching, these three words were perhaps the most important teaching that he offered to me. Koan used to do work with prisoners. He would go into the prisons and share the Dharma with them, teach them meditation, give them a practice. And then he would go away and he would come back a few weeks later and inevitably someone would approach him and say, teacher, I've been doing this thing that you recommended I do, counting my breath or whatever. And teacher, it's really hard. I can't do it. Been at this for two weeks. I haven't mastered it yet. Can I have something easier? Meditation's not working. I'm more agitated and Koan would just smile and laugh. Say, just keep going. Just keep going. And me too. When I started working on koans with him, these little riddles or Zen stories you sometimes hear about, and he would ask me to demonstrate what Mu is, I would do something, I would feel like a complete fool. And I'd be like, koan, this is no fun. I think I'd rather run full speed through a glass door naked. Can I do something else? And he would say, just keep going. Just keep going. Joy is the fourth limb. Thich Nhat Hanh writes that joy and elated state of mind comes from touching things that are refreshing and beautiful within and outside of ourselves. Moreover, it's something that is always available to us and can be a helpful friend in the midst of pain and suffering. Sometimes we say that this mind, this monkey mind causes all sorts of problems for us because it need not be confined to the present moment. It's able to drag up past situations, bring them into the present past painful situations or anticipate future situations that we might be concerned about. We might be anxious about. 
And when it does this, digging up the past or anticipating the future, the conditions are ripe for worry, anxiety, restlessness, feelings of nausea, a racing heart, the possibility of fainting. But it's not all bad news. The mind's freedom in this way from the present is equally a source of joy. We can recollect previous conversations with Dharma sisters and brothers. Daigon and I often carpool to the Zendo on Sundays. And I take great pleasure in our conversations. Last week, I was recalling how in the week prior, I was counting how many times he name dropped Dogen. 17 was the number. <laughs> Every fifth word was like, and Dogen says, you must be reading Dogen over there, buddy. And I can look forward to the next Zazen Kai or Sashin sitting Zazen together with every cough, every sneeze, every rumbling of a hungry belly, every fart. Yes, every fart. <laughs> I can't help but smile when I hear people say, I'm sorry if I was noisy and I disturbed your meditation practice. What are you talking about? My practice on this cushion prepares me for going out there where there's lots of sneezing and coughing and farting. A dear Dharma friend of mine, Tony Johansson, used to float the idea of making an album called Zendo Sounds. Either there was gonna be a microphone in the center or one in front of each person, and every track would be a recording of all the sounds present during that period of Zazen or Kinhin. Very John Cage. And remembering his enthusiasm for the project brings me joy. The fifth limb is ease, which always accompanies right effort. We talked a bit on Thursday evening about our progress-driven society, the ever-oppressive need to keep moving forward, to keep moving upward towards the next promotion, the next goal, the next penthouse, whatever, of a will run amok. I was reminded of Thomas Hobbes writing in the 17th century that the will is a never quenched thirst for more and more power, ceasing only in death, and how being in a society that encourages us to live this way is exhausting. Where can there be ease when you are continuously carried forward on a maddening conveyor belt, never fully present, never really here. It's sometimes suggested that you can only get off the belt when you reach a certain age, when you've done enough, when you can retire. I don't think so, but exiting it before then does require, I see, just tremendous courage to check out of that hustle and bustle that so much of the world is caught up in and say, not for me anymore. I think about my own exit from academia, conveyor belt par excellence, and one in which I was running forward 
at full speed. And the way you see people walking on those moving walkways in the airport, I wasn't just being carried for it, I was sprinting to some non-existent finish line. Always thinking about the next article, the next conference, the next round of job applications. No wonder, to quote Thich Nhat Hanh again, I couldn't bring the energy from my head down to my abdomen. I couldn't practice letting go. I couldn't walk slowly through the park and enjoy it and be at rest. And so I think it's worth reflecting on whether this effort that seems to be so highly prized, this kind of effort, is really right effort, given a seemingly evident absence of ease from it. Sixth is concentration, samadhi, which means a bringing together of the energy of the mind, and is the natural companion of mindfulness. Where there is one, there is the other, and where there is the other, there is the one. And it's interesting to note that mindful, not mindfulness, concentration, this single pointed focus on something or other is not by itself wholesome, skillful, or beneficial but derives its value, its status from the thing that it's attached to. Thieves need great concentration to exercise their art. And some meditative practices, some of you may be familiar with, require great concentration to take the person out of the present moment to some fantasy island. Plato-style Socrates is someone who practiced philosophy in this way, not concerned with what's here, with what's right under his feet, but with some things in the heavens, with preparing the soul for its eventual escape from this bodily prison. And so I find it fitting that the French essayist Michel de Montaigne would say that to philosophize is to learn how to die. And how different this is from our practice. For us, concentration aids us in being anchored in the body, not trying to escape the body. And sitting in Shikantaza prepares us not to die, but to learn how to live, to embrace this beautiful life with curiosity, ease, and joy. And all of these limbs are enveloped in what we might call equanimity, the seventh and final limb. In the weeks to come, I wanna talk about equanimity in more detail. So for the moment, I'll just share with you that on my Ketchumyaku, the blood lineage chart that you receive during Jakai, seen some of our own Sangha members receive theirs. Koan Sensei wrote the following for me. Going straight on the road with 99 curves, 
preferring neither this way or that. Peace is always at hand. Going straight on the road with 99 curves, preferring neither this way or that. Peace is always at hand. These seven limbs diligence, ease, and joy, and concentration and equanimity, all to continue with this image of a tree, grow from a solid trunk. All of them together make up a tree in the shade of which we can begin to realize a fully human life. And that trunk is Zazen, seated meditation. That special activity that pervades all other activities to paraphrase our lineage founder, Kobanchino Roshi. And so to close this talk this morning as a way of emphasizing the centrality of sitting in our practice, I'd like to share with you some lines from Hakuin Zenji's Song of Zazen. Hakuin is one of our most important Japanese ancestors. Here's some of what he had to say. Just like a child born of wealth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from the wheel of samsara? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Observing the precepts, repentance, and giving, the countless good deeds and the right way of living all come from Zazen. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi, how bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land and this very body, the body of Buddha. And this very body, the body of Buddha. Thank you very much.